On this episode of AvTalk, more airlines say goodbye to sizable portions of their fleets. One airline will press an A380 into cargo service. And pilot John Weisswasser joins us to talk about his trifecta, landing at Newark, LaGuardia, and JFK during the same flight in a Vans RV8. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz and you're sounding cheery today, Ian. I'm drinking whiskey. Ah, yeah, that'll do it. Me too. I only started, so I'm not (laughs) quite as cheery as you are just yet. We're recording after 5 p.m. in case anyone's concerned. But day 5,287 of quarantine. I have no way to prove if that's true or not. It might be. It might not be. Until we start talking about airplanes, anything we say could be true or not true. It doesn't matter. Once we start talking about airplanes, we try our best to, to actually bring you the facts, figures as they are. But until then, who knows what happened? Not me. Exactly. How have you been? How was your intervening two weeks? Did anything happen? Days have no meaning anymore, so I I don't really know. Excellent. I think today is Tuesday. It is. It is. And I think it's May now. That is also true. Yeah. That is also true. We've- Big developments, huge if true. Huge news. Well, that's the episode. Okay, Uh, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Turning the attention to aviation, in fact, some things are happening. A lot of not great things, unfortunately. We continue with the theme, such as it is, in our quarantined state. So phase one of all of this was figuring out what the hell was going on. That lasted, I think, I want to say early to mid-March into April. Yep, that was back when we still had a chance of tracking what the hell was going on. Right. And then April turned into service reductions or or finalizing service reductions, making them more less ad hoc, I'll say, and figuring out how airlines were going to operate in, in this new environment and then dealing with how to... Do we continue to operate to these cities? Do we continue to operate these aircraft and and things like that? And now that airlines have had some time, near on two months to assess the situation, a lot of airlines have started saying, aircraft that were on the way out that we were considering possibly not having fly past X date are just gone. And the latest today is the Virgin Atlantic fleet is shrinking measurably as the 747s are gone. They will not fly again. Yes, they are parked and they will not be returning. And actually, that is a bit more than just the 747s. Virgin Atlantic is in dire straits at this point, and they have withdrawn from London Gatwick Airport entirely at this point. It will keep the slots in a hope that when demand picks back up, it will resume flights at Gatwick. But who knows when that is. It may or may not happen. Virgin Atlantic may or may not be an airline in a year. I hope it is, but we shall see. But for now, any of those flights that still operate will be operated out of London Heathrow instead of Gatwick. And also BA, I believe the other day is also said they're axing service from Gatwick. So Gatwick's not looking too good right now, is it? No, it's not. And Virgin saying they'll keep the slots is, I guess, dependent on whether or not they're allowed to keep those slots. So so I think that'll be something interesting to watch, whether or not that puts BA in a position to 
maybe get a better deal out of it. Or if anyone yeah. else wants him, uh, JetBlue once upon a time would have paid a princely sum for those slots, but I'm assuming those transatlantic desires are, are no more, but we will see. And at the same time, Virgin reaffirmed that it will be retiring its A330 200s that I believe it acquired from the demise of Air Berlin in 2022 as planned. So that's what, uh, 10, 11 aircraft? Headed yeah, out of it's service. a sizable chunk yeah. of a small fleet. And seven immediately. So that's, I mean, pretty a pretty big drop off. And then there's what happened at American, where pretty much if it was an older aircraft, it is grounded indefinitely and permanently retired. Gone are the 767s. Gone are the 757s. Jason and I are actually looking into purchasing one. Mm, uh, beer cans. Gone. Yeah, exactly. Gone are the E-190s and gone are the CRJ-200s operated by PSA. Right. Uh, so, so that's a, of, another sizable chunk. Yeah. None of this is, is particularly surprising. The 7.6s, 7.5s, and E-190s were all slated to be retired sooner rather than later within the next year or two. Actually, I believe we're missing the A330-300 from this list. Um, ah, yes, yes. Those, see, I, I knew we'd be missing one and we'd get yelled at if we forgot it. So it's the 767-757-E190, A330-300, not the 200, and the CRJ-200. So those were all, especially the E-190s and A333s, those were rumored for years now to be retired. But now we finally know for sure those will be parked and almost certainly will not fly again as passenger aircraft. I would say there's a very good chance the 7.6s get a new lease on life as freighters. The 7.5s, I have no idea. The E-190s are interesting. They weren't that old, but American just had no place in its fleet for them. So I wonder what might happen to those. I do not know. Is but Petro I think it could Air be interesting. for some E-190s? The E-190s are far too young to join the Petchmoyer fleet. I mean, we don't really look at anything beyond DC-8s at this point. Mm. I look forward to the introduction of the 727 to your fleet. Yeah, one day. One day we'll get there. We're still a four-engined for all haul, as I like like to say. Interesting. So yeah, American also recently last year, if you listen to the podcast, you know that they retired the the Mad Dogs, the MD-80s with a huge amount of fanfare out in Roswell. These aircraft will not be getting such a party or celebratory retirement. Unfortunately, the, the tone this year is a bit different, isn't it? It's a single line in a press release it is what it is. And maybe that's okay these days. I, yeah. I don't know. There will be no party, just a somber press release. Yeah. Meanwhile, north of the border, up in Canada, Air Canada will be retiring 79 aircraft, including the 767, the A319, and the E190, all of which are out of no, the fleet immediately. No love, no love for the E190. Well, no, I don't know if the 767 and the A319s are out immediately. Oh, just the that E190 was, that's out Just the E190s out immediately. Right. The, which, which what was going, unclear to me is they, Those when, were being gradually reduced anyway. Yeah. But this is particularly interesting because the 767 is Rouge's only wide-body aircraft, Rouge's Air Canada's low-cost unit. So this affects Rouge pretty hard. The bulk of its fleet is A319s and 767s. They also have some 320s and 321s. But this will leave Air Canada without a wide-body fleet to operate mid-haul and, and long-haul flights, especially transatlantic. 
So I don't know what happens to Rouge in the future. Does it limit to just North American flights and the Caribbean or, or what? Well, I think two things. One, I'm not sure that the 767 and A319 phase out affects Rouge entirely. Oh, it does. Um, it, that, it, it, it's that, literally, it, okay. if you add the numbers up, it is every 767 and every 319 equals Air Canada plus Rouge. Got it. So in that case, here's what I say to you. Air Canada said that they're going into hibernation mode for three years. I mean, they've been not terribly optimistic they've throughout been all of this. Let's just say I that. mean, but I think it's going to serve them well. I really do. I think it's going to serve them well. They're coming out with their, I forget what they branded it, but it's cleaning promise and you know oh, how they're sanitizing. Plus, your, yeah, yeah. And so I think that in these times, perhaps pessimism is warranted, if not only because it's probably a more accurate sentiment, but... I think that it sets you up for being pleasantly... I would much rather be pleasantly surprised that I have to bring more planes back from the desert than I didn't put enough planes into the desert and now I'm in a very precarious position. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Nobody knows. Every crystal ball is pretty fuzzy at this point. I mean, I think at this point, the crystal balls have all been taken and smashed on the floor. I think they're parked out in the uh, boneyard. <laughs> we, we parked the crystal balls out in the desert. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, next up, yeah. in the uh, rundown of fleet retirements, this Staying is not, north. Yeah, this is not a huge surprise. Alaska Airlines has decided it will not bring back the A319s it acquired from Virgin America, which it never really wanted in the first place. They never refurbished those aircraft, so they were actually still sporting the Virgin America interior. Those are parked and will not be flying under the Alaska brand ever again. Hopefully, somebody picks those up. One day, someone will perhaps explain to me, and we can do this on the podcast, or, or if anyone just wants to write an email to podcast at fr24.com, I will spring for a meal or something. If anyone can convincingly explain to me why Alaska bought Virgin. To screw JetBlue out of the route network. I mean, that just that seems like not a good it. enough reason. It was a fleet it didn't want, an interior product it did not want, employees that did not want, but really, it, it just wanted to make sure JetBlue did not get all of the above. Ay, 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 ay. Yes. So, yeah, that, that's the 319s are gone, but that was probably going to happen regardless. And then last but not least, I think unless we're yeah. missing anything right now in the last two weeks... Qantas 747s will not be returning to the skies, nor will some of the A380s, probably maybe. Well, they've stopped the refurbishment process on the A380s. So there were six done and six to go. They've parked a few of the A380s. And so how many of those come back and when, nobody knows. Nope. But the 747s are, in fact, done for. That was rumored to be happening when they did their, I think, the flyby on their last commercial flight with it that actually had passengers, but it will not be coming back. So, And those were yeah. the special 747-400ERs that were unique to Qantas. Yeah. I mean, none of this is surprising. No, but that also means that's the um, end of a, an aircraft type. Yeah, uh, that's true. I hadn't thought about it like that. So, that's the first. It's not just Qantas grounding the 747-400ER 
they were the only airline that ever had that. So unless some other airline, uh, Baltia maybe, picks up uh, 400 ER, that's it. That Avatar. Avatar, that's right. So Avatar's no more. Gonna go no more. Qantas is also putting on hold its Project Sunrise flights. So these are the nonstop flights that would have flown between Sydney and New York and Sydney and London. And those have been put on hold. Alan Joyce, speaking to journalists yesterday, said, or is it today? Australia's, it might have been today. But moral of the story is that the CEO of Qantas Group said that they're in discussion with Airbus still, but they are in absolutely no position to be purchasing a new aircraft type and the quantity that they would need to make those flights work. Yeah. I can't imagine how happy they are that they didn't order those 350s just yet. Yeah. I mean, that would have been something to have ordered those in in, because they were making, they said they were going to make a decision in December and then there were some issues with who was going to operate those flights and and how they would be compensated with regards to pilots. And that delay seems to have saved them quite a big chunk of money. Yeah. And at this point, it begs the question of what is the future of ultra long haul flying? Does the Singapore Newark to Singapore flight return? And when, if so, does Philippines resume its nonstop flying to JFK? I don't know. Are there demand for these super, super long flights? Some people are saying no. I truly don't know. Once again, our crystal ball is parked out at uh, Roswell. So I don't know. What do you think? I think that I think there will be some demand. I don't think that will it be enough. No, I yeah, exactly. I don't think it'll be enough to really sustain at least not for a while. Maybe these flights come back and maybe they happen, but if they were going to be happening a year from now, they're not going to be happening a year from now. Or if they were going to start a year from now, they're not actually going to start that is what I'm trying to say. It's going to take I think a long time for traffic to come back. I mean, we're starting to see inklings here and there of of traffic returning. The if you're looking at the U.S. using the TSA numbers as a barometer, those have started to tick up. If you're looking at total flights and commercial flights that we're tracking, those are starting to tick up a little bit. But they fell so far that it doesn't really have the impact. A mild increase in some flights. That's not going to bring ultra long haul flying back. And it's certainly not going to bring long haul flying back. So I think we're a long way off from there. But I hope we see these things again one day. I hope we see ultra long haul flights and people connecting in exciting ways. I mean, the Project Sunrise stuff was, that was exciting. The ability to connect points that had never been connected before, whether or not you wanted to take those flights, I I still think that was an exciting opportunity. Yeah. Or uh, Air New Zealand also announced that they're delaying the launch of their Auckland to JFK flight until 2022 at the earliest. So stuff is really being pushed back. Yeah. I mean, and the Chicago flight that began not too long ago is now now cargo. You know, things like these, these long haul flights that had begun are basically carrying cargo now. Uh, so- I'll just be happy if JetBlue returns to LaGuardia at this point. <laughs> Baby steps. And, Let's and, I talk mean, that, about regional airports before we talk yeah. about ultra long haul. Well, and that's what it's going to be, though. I mean, that's really what it's going to be. I mean, we've got all, and we talked about this, you know, last episode with Seth, where we've got all of these airlines figuring out how to make things work. And we focused a lot on the US, but some of that's going to be 
elsewhere. I mean, that's going to be in Europe. That's going to be in Asia where you have airlines trying to figure out what routes are going to work for them. Where can they make money? Where is their demand? And a lot of these smaller places, it's just not going to be there. Yep. We'll see what happens, but not right now. Uh, nobody knows. Let's turn our attention now to something that I think John Walton said who had this on their bingo card and I don't think anyone did. Yeah. I got this press release from Lufthansa Technic earlier today as well and I think I read it four times, not just because of the weird formatting of the email, but the contents of it was that it is finally having, sort of kind of, that there will be a cargo A380, sort of, asterisk. Sorta. 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 So it will only carry cargo, but it will not be a cargo aircraft. Right. So Lufthansa Technique is helping support an undisclosed customer's desire to do what we've affectionately called it a COVID combi at this point, where you take a passenger aircraft, you remove the seats, and you put boxes where the seats used to be. But this is the first time someone's going to do it with an A380. We've seen it with aircraft sizes all the way up to 777-300ER with LATAM just the other day and a bunch of other airlines. But an A380, that's interesting. Originally, Airbus was supposed to produce an A380 freighter variant, but the delays getting that out the door, the A380 as a whole, were so severe that it was ditched and never happened. But we don't know who wants to convert one or at least one of their A380s to cargo or kind of a COVID combi. Who do you think it is? Obviously, or not obviously, maybe. To me, the most obvious choice would be Lufthansa. I mean, they've got their fleet parked. They can bring one out. It's already there. If they can do it on the line in Frankfurt, great. If they have to take it up to Hamburg, fine. So that makes the most sense to me. What makes the least sense? And we talked about this earlier. So yeah, I mean, someone suggested that it was high fly. To me, the logic there doesn't follow. It is one, they can probably make more money doing repatriation flights or special flights that might be necessary as kind of one-offs for governments and things like that. But two, it just came out of a B-check. And if they were going to convert it, that seems to me like it would be the time to do it. I mean, if they're already taking the plane apart a little bit, might as well take the seats out and leave them out. Unless they already did it during the B-check and this is an after-the-fact release. But the way it was worded made me think that they have not yet done the conversion. Right. So we will be on the lookout for any A380s that are not quite where they should be. I mean, it's not going to be hard to spot considering there's one A380 in the air pretty much at any one time these days. China Southern? Yeah. I mean, you've got China Southern operating one flight. I think Emirates has been shuffling theirs to kind of keep the ones that have not been long-term storage, ready to roll. But I mean, there's not much going on. And remember, this is not a true freighter. They're not cutting a a cargo door on the side of the aircraft. They are literally just removing the seats and making it easier to load, in some cases, pallets and mostly boxes. Airbus is actually working on a, a system where they can put pallets in the places or pallet holders in the place of where aircraft seats used to be to make the certification process easier. So airlines don't have to go to their local authorities to get permission to do that. Rather, it will just be blanket done by Airbus, which is pretty cool, but weird times. Very, very weird times. So we'll it, when we find out, we'll, I mean, obviously 
talk about it here in the next episode, but stay tuned, uh, social media and elsewhere to keep up with that information. And we'll figure out how to track that once it, it becomes known what it is, in fact. Norwegian Speaking lives, of weird. Speaking of weird, Norwegian lives to lose money another day. Yeah, this is Norwegian, with all due respect, is just the, a cockroach of an airline. It will not die. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if its long-haul aircraft are severely impacted, the 787. doesn't matter if its narrow-body aircraft are severely impacted, the 737 MAX. It doesn't matter if there's a global pandemic and collapse of worldwide economies. Norwegian just finds a way. Norwegian finds a way. That's a great tagline. Right? I mean, really, that's a great that you should you I should, should trade pitch them that. on that. You should, yes. If Marty St. George listens to this podcast, and maybe he does, watch out for that trademark. It's for sale. <laughs> yeah, so the Norwegian bondholders agreed to terms ahead of basically a restructuring vote. And so they will continue to exist. There was concern, great concern, that they would no longer continue to exist should the bondholders not agree to a bit of a restructuring. They agreed to that. I assume the idea is that more money or some money is better than no money. So there's that. And they will keep on going. It seems to me that they do have a pretty good idea of how to get things going again when things get going again. Well put, Ian. Well put. But uh, Norwegian, yeah. is, it's looking better than some other airlines. Let's say down in South Africa, Comair, the British Airways affiliate, kind of went into, I think, not administration today, but some sort of protection scheme. It, yeah, it's basically the South African equivalent of bankruptcy protection. So right. reorganization and, and things like that. So yeah, another airline. And there's now an issue because it stands to reason there, of course, there would be with South African Airways, where the airline being used as a political football continues. And so now the political opposition in South Africa is upset about the conditions and, and lack of oversight being proposed as part of any rescue or revamping of South Africans. So that'll be They'll figure it interesting out. one to follow. Even because, Italy figured yeah. out what to do with Alitalia. I mean, Alitalia just keeps saying, maybe Alitalia owns the, you know, Alitalia finds a way. No, Alitalia just keeps going. I don't even know what it is. Alitalia is a whole other chapter in a different story. That's true. We could do a whole serial podcast on Alitalia. But anyway, so Norwegian, keeping going. What other terrible things happened this week? This wasn't a terrible thing. It, it was, was a just, thing. It was a thing and it was so weird and it took longer than it should have to figure out and took away from my weekend and I'm a bit salty about that. Ah, but see, that's I just right. ignored it. I was out for a nice long walk on Saturday. People kept tweeting me about this and I just ignored it. I mean that maybe I need to learn how to ignore things. Did you know you can a, turn a your phone better. off? I wait, what? Yeah. There's a power button on the side that if you hold it for like two seconds, it tells you you can turn the phone off. I had no idea. Yeah. Check it out. See, even I learn things on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Everyone should check that out every now and then. You can turn your phone off. It's a new I feature. I gotta get on that. So over the weekend, the AN225, after dropping off a massive load of personal protection equipment and medical supplies in Montreal, was headed back to Anchorage to head back to China to then head back to Ukraine with a, another load of medical supplies. 
earlier in the day, after after the AN-225 had, had departed from Montreal, AN, a Chinese Airlines cargo 747, there was a bomb threat against the aircraft. Why? And so wh- Why? who knows? And I'm sure we'll learn more at some point. But there was a bomb threat against that aircraft, which was on its way back from Seattle. And so it diverted to Anchorage. The diversion of that aircraft caused the Anchorage airport to close, which meant that Whoops. the AN-225, the world's largest cargo aircraft, Trying had to land to divert. at the world's busiest airport right now, by the way. Yeah. Had to divert to Fairbanks. Not the world's with, busiest airport. I think it was a, a Volga-Nyeper uh, IL-76. So if you were spotting at Fairbanks, what a day. Right. Let's see, Cessna 172, Cessna 172, Cessna 182, uh, AN-224. Huh. Yeah. I, doesn't I mean, normally, the, a 225, sorry. Doesn't, yeah. It normally doesn't go there. So, surprise, it then ferried back to Anchorage because that's where the crew hotels were booked and the fueling contracts, et cetera, et cetera. It has gone on since. So, I mean, just kind of a, a weird thing. To have happened, but yeah. there, there was no there was no bomb. Everything was cleared. The China Airlines cargo flight departed, and everything got back to normal. Yeah, um, but the AN two two five operating Fairbanks to Anchorage—that's a line right there. <laughs> Did not have that one in my domestic flights playbook for the week. But here we are. We're in strange times. We've said it once. We've said it a thousand times. We are in strange times. Speaking of strange times. We have a wonderful guest. Wow, what a transition. This week. So we talked about this briefly in a few episodes, uh, or a few episodes ago, where some pilots have taken to the empty skies of New York to complete the trifecta, the triple crown, whatever you want to call it, landing or or making an approach at uh, Newark, LaGuardia, and JFK. So we saw a YouTube video by John Weiswasser, and we said we have to have him on the show, and so we're going to. Yeah, so I, we're I take actually a quick went to like do some work and try to track this guy down to have him on the podcast. It's unprecedented. This is unprecedented. This is truly unprecedented. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk with John Weiswasser about what he did, why he did it, and what it's like flying in the empty skies above New York. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I am thrilled that we are now joined by Jonathan Weiswasser, who is a man of many talents. He is a doctor. He is the drummer for the Eagle Mania Band, which is a, a tribute to Eagles. And he is also an avid pilot who has a fantastic YouTube channel called Life in the Fast Lane or Life in the FL. Pilots will pick up on that one. And he has joined us today to talk about something that a month or six weeks ago would have been absolutely unthinkable. So we're thrilled to have him here with us today. Jason's going to explain a little bit about what has happened, and then we're going to bring John in to really get into how we made it all happen. So John, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks Thanks for joining us. So a little background. I'm assuming most anyone who listens to this podcast knows that New York City airspace and the region around New York 
is some of the busiest in the world. It's incredibly choreographed down to the individual arrival, down to the really 30 to 90 second span that aircraft are allowed to land. We have slot restrictions, so only aircraft that have basically prearranged to be at any one of our airports are allowed to be there. But now that during the COVID pandemic, there's virtually no air traffic on some days. We could go an hour, two, three hours before any arrival or departure at one of our major airports, JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. So things are a little weird these days. And something that, like Ian said, may have been unthinkable just six weeks ago is now almost commonplace. So one thing Hmm. in particular is I noticed on April 17th that there was a pilot in a Cessna 182 who was doing the rounds of all three airports. He was he or she was flying to JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark all in the same run, which really shouldn't be possible. Nonetheless, just touching and going or, or doing landings at these airports, but to get such direct routing between the two and three shouldn't be possible. And then a couple of days later, someone pointed me to one of John's videos who actually very well documented the feat of doing this run, which shouldn't be possible. And we just had to have him on the show and really get the behind the scenes of why he did it, how he did it, the difficulties in actually doing it, and basically see how the crown is on the top of his head that he was able to do this almost so easily. <laughs> well, thank you. So, the inspiration for this was something that I had heard about going on in the early 90s when I first learned to fly and started flying in the area, which was that people would go at two or three or four in the morning and attempt this. And it could often be done. Obviously, things are very different now. So, in light of the absence of air traffic, I thought that the opportunity was ripe to attempt something like this. And I actually, for those of you who may be familiar with my channel, which is all about using an airplane to fly for the band, I wanted to document this and make it as an installment on my channel. However, I had to find a way to shoehorn in the band aspect of it. So I was able to come up with a reason to fly down to pretty much a local airport down on the Jersey Shore to drop off a hard drive full of audio files and then make the trifecta, as I call it, a part of my return. So it was almost something that I did as a, at least at first, as a, on a whim. I thought about it on the way down. I listened to New York Approach and Newark Tower. They were, I almost thought I was on the wrong frequency because it was so quiet. And on the way back up, I gave them a call and asked. And the funny moment in the video is is when the controller actually laughs when I first present this to him. And then I just went ahead and did it. The first time I tried, which is now the video is actually, to be completely honest, and for those of you who are going to look up the ADSB track of this, you'll see there's actually two flights. And the first one, which is the one where I went down to Ocean County to drop off these files, that one I was able to get Newark and LaGuardia and I wasn't able to get Kennedy. So I came back to Caldwell where I'm based and I did a little researching to get phone numbers for towers. And I tried to call them a couple days later to let them know I was coming. And when no one picked up, I just said, screw it, I'm going to do it again. And this time I basically retraced my steps. I didn't make an approach from the south, which is what you see on the video. And instead I came from the west 
And I got basically a touch and go. I know I say a low approach, but it's a really low approach. I mean, it's about as low an approach as you can get. And I did a touch and go at Newark, LaGuardia. And then when LaGuardia couldn't give me a handoff to Kennedy, I decided to just exit their airspace VFR and give Kennedy a call when I was outside their lowest rung and get a code to come in. And that's how it worked. All pretty outstanding. So looking at the track, you did runway 11 at Newark. Right. You did runway 4 at LaGuardia and 3-1 left left at JFK, which is a very interesting combination. That's right. Three distinct different directions. That's right. And I'm flying a tail dragger. So that's a very good point. In fact, some of what got edited out is that the winds at Kennedy were not favorable for landing a tail dragger. In fact, there were a slight tailwind and I'm very picky about that. So, if I was actually going to get that tail on the ground and bring it to a stop, I would not have elected to accept a 3-1 runway landing. And so, given that I was just going to literally touch the mains down, it didn't bother me as much. But that's a very astute observation you've made. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, it's definitely interesting to me that while the airspace around JFK was very quiet, obviously, it wasn't completely devoid of any other traffic. I think they slotted you in behind a couple cargo heavies. I didn't get exactly what they were, but there was other traffic out there, right? There absolutely was. They were using the parallel runway. So, I was coming from basically the east, the northeast. And what was really unusual, I thought, was that he vectored me out towards the shore and got me down to 500 feet. And I've never gotten an instruction from a controller under any circumstance to fly at 500 feet MSL. That's almost, you know, I mean, you could make an argument that that's, there's a legal question there whether or not I should be flying that low over in controlled airspace like that. But nonetheless, he brought me down to 500 feet to follow the shoreline beneath the approach path to 3-1 right, where he was landing a lot of larger airplanes. There was a Korean Air or something, and then I don't know if they were cargo or passenger planes or what. But yeah, there was definitely some activity on 3-1 right. So, your particular aircraft, and we'll put a link to the show notes to both the video and also the ADS-B track, Mm -hmm. but you've done some pretty extraordinary modifications to your particular aircraft. And watching the video, your panel Mm -hmm. does not look like most panels look. (laughs) No. Yeah, no, that's true. So, the story behind that was that as my band got busier and busier, and I started to look at using an airplane, this is before I had a Meridian, before I bought a Meridian. As I started to look at using the airplane as a great means to get from where I live to a lot of these off the beaten path places that we play, I started thinking I really had fallen out of currency from an instrument point of view. And at the same time, I was thinking about the ADSB mandate. So, about three and a half, four years ago, I went to my avionics guy and I asked him about upgrading to ADSB. And at the same time, it's sort of like, while we're there, why don't we upgrade the entire panel? And me being one to kind of take things to an extreme when it comes to things like this, I opted for probably the most technically advanced RV-8 in the fleet 
So it has two G3Xs up front and one in the back. So you could actually control the autopilot, the radios, and everything from the rear seat, which is unusual. And as far as its overall capability, it is my Meridian, which is an amazing IFR and instrument platform. The RV is not so great that way. That's a G1000 equipped airplane, and my RV can do more from an avionics point of view than the Meridian. So that's, <laughs> that's, which is crazy. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, but that's, that's the wonderful difference between the experimental market and the certified market is that there's so much more technology that is 10 years down the road for the certified market that you can now put into an experimental, which is fortunate, unfortunate, however you want to look at it. Yeah. So, what would you say, if you had to pick out one aspect, what was the most difficult aspect of this mission that you went on? The most difficult thing for me was just getting the permission to do it. You have to understand, I do a lot of instrument flying in the Meridian. I'm in and out of Class B airports all the time. So, I've become very comfortable with interacting with controllers and tower controllers and maneuvering in that environment. So, that helped a lot. It helped a lot to know the airspace around New York, which can be complex. I wouldn't call it Southern California, but it's definitely complicated. And the Hudson Corridor is something that I think having familiarity with made a big difference here. But really, for me, the most difficult thing was just getting them to agree to let me do it. Yeah. And I'm looking back at the video now and I see you you flew over Roosevelt Field on Long Island at about 500 feet, which is not something I've ever seen before in any circumstance. Right. Right, right. And That's. Have you ever seen the airspace? I obviously know the answer, but I want to hear you say it anyway. Have you ever seen the New York City airspace so empty before? Never. No, that was something that really caught me by surprise. I don't know. I assume Jason, having living around here, you've flown that corridor several times, and it is a real. I mean, it's one of those things that you almost can't enjoy it because you're spending so much time looking around for other traffic and paying attention to where you are in relation to fixed objects. A lot of seeing and avoiding goes on. That's right. That's right. And the altitude constraints are pretty strict. And so, what was unusual about this is I'm flying up the East River and actually enjoying the view. It occurred to me that what was different was I wasn't so consumed and distracted by looking for things that could potentially kill me or I could hit and instead was actually enjoying the view. Yeah. Wow. This is pretty fascinating to me. And it looks like you did fly right over Newark on the way back too. Yes. So, you could have gotten uh, the quadrifecta there if you wanted <laughs> I, I to. Could've. I could have. In fact, always in retrospect, what I should have done was I should have gassed up and done a touch and go at Teterboro, Philadelphia, and BWI in Dulles. And I have a pin. <laughs> I have the pin, a pin number to, to f- file FRZ flight plans in and out of College Park. And I thought it would be interesting to even try that, to try that trifecta and just see if there was any possibility that with the pin number that they would give me a touch and go at at Reagan, which I've landed at before in a 182, but that was before 9-11. So, the things that we're, I think we're seeing are pretty amazing and I think we're going to keep seeing a bit more. I'm looking forward to whatever you do next and I hope that you find a way to shoehorn it into something related to the band so that you can put it on the YouTube channel and so that we can watch it. Oh, for sure. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. So, this has been great. Jonathan Weiswasser, a doctor, 
a drummer for Egomania and a pilot with a great YouTube channel that I, I suggest everyone check out. We'll put a link in the show notes because what he has done is the dream of, I think, a lot of pilots. Yeah, thank you. And and I should say the channel is a little different in that it's really geared towards presenting the decisions, the analysis, and the strategy that go into using a general aviation airplane for an endeavor where you have to be somewhere. And while a lot of pilots have a hard time with having to be somewhere when you're flying, I show how that can be done practically and safely. And what I'm really trying to capture is all of the aeronautical decision-making that you don't see in a lot of YouTube content. So hopefully when you're watching the channel and gawking at the three-hour run, you can learn a thing or two along the way. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. John, thank you so much for joining this. This has been a great conversation. And if you do anything half as impressive as the <laughs> trifecta, we'll hope to have you back on the show. All right. That would be my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Welcome back. And I think that Jason and I are both pretty jealous of John's accomplishments, but also just generally in awe that it takes so much coordination to do that, even when the skies are nearly empty. Yeah. Next time he does that, maybe he'll give me a heads up and I can look out the window and spot him on his approach <laughs> just to give a uh, wave. Runway he four. He'll be one of the only like eight aircraft of the day. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll notice, yeah. I'll hear it. So he would have had to talk to New York Control, New York Approach, New York Departure, Newark Tower, LaGuardia Tower, JFK Tower. Even when there's really no one else out there, that's that's a lot of coordination. Yeah. I mean, for one person doing all the work too. Yeah. At this point, so many other pilots have done that. If you listen to Live ATC, Newark I was listening to, someone else was doing this and the Newark controller basically, not basically, he did say, this is kind of just what we do these days. So sure, why not? One giving the approval <laughs> to mean, do it, a, a it, low it, pass. You know, it's keeping people current and busy and so let's... Yeah. There's also been a lot of uh, commercial aircraft, especially at a JFK, the, the Delta 767-400s doing circuits over the New York area, taking off from JFK, flying around a bit and landing not only to keep the pilots current, but to keep the aircraft current from having to go into deep storage because that implicates all sorts of storage and maintenance procedures. But they are occasionally basically stretching the legs of some aircraft out of a lot of airports, actually. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've, I've been interested in looking into and something that I'm either thinking about for a future episode of the podcast or at least a blog post or something about looking into how what's necessary to prevent an aircraft from needing storage maintenance. So looking into that, I, I think that'll be for some future episodes, but look for that later on. We wanted to dedicate the second last part of the show to not terrible news. And so I thought we would start with the slight uptick in traffic worldwide and in China. Departures last week from the 25 busiest airports in China went over 5,000. Daily departures went over 5,000 for the first time since January. So we've got that going for us. Traffic to and from the rest of the world slowly rising a and little bit. And load factors slowly rising, yeah, which I, I'm not I think, sure is a good uh, thing just yet. Well, I mean, I think when you're going from you know a 1% load factor to a 3% load factor, it's not 
terrible at this point. But I think that's a valid concern is, you know, premature load factorage. You can run into some issues with social distancing and things like that, but we'll see how those things go. The second 777X flew for the first time. So that was some happy news. All right, that's that a we've got piece going. of bittersweet news, I guess. I mean, we'll, they'll eventually need them. Who? Someday. Will anyone actually take a 777X? I mean, if we're still doing this whole thing, we're going to have to have a 777X COVID combi. I guess so. Well, who has these things on order? Lufthansa has pretty much said they want to convert those to freighters at this point. Yep. Uh, Emirates has more aircraft parked than it knows what to do with. Who else ordered this thing? Cathay. Cathay? No, no way. I, I can't see them <laughs> taking it. Anyone else? We'll get the list. But let's just concentrate on the fact that the second one flew. Okay. I hope it, it enjoyed day. folding up its wingtips when it landed it and such. It did. In unmitigated good news, three brown bears that were found abandoned in Russia have found a new home at a wildlife sanctuary elsewhere in Russia. Ural Airlines carried those bear cubs on one of their flights. And that's absolute good news. The bears are going to have uh, long, long, happy lives at that wildlife sanctuary. In what we'll call mitigated good news, Ural Airlines is also offering their onboard meals for at-home delivery in three Russian cities. Interesting. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago with, what was it, Air North, Air North up in I Canada? Think, yeah. So yep. yeah, if airline food is your thing and it sounds appetizing, move to the Yukon territories or the Ural Mountain region. Yeah, Moscow, St. Petersburg, and Yechtenburg, if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably sure. not. Podcast at FR24.com. And so that's that. In weird but unsurprising at this point news, it turns out that Vin Diesel is actually operating Austrian Airlines Q400s. Wait. Exactly. So in the process of buttoning up the Q400s for long-term storage, some of the fine people that work at the airline decided that a large cutout of Vin Diesel from the Fast and the Furious movies would go well over the windscreen. And someone snapped a photo. We'll toss it in the show notes. It gave me a good chuckle. Huh. That's a thing. It's not quite as depressing as... The United 787 that was taxing around, I think it was Denver with a mask on? There's that. I mean, you know, the people are getting creative. And finally, the not great news, but no <laughs> one was injured, so we'll count it. A weird thing happened where a Qatar Airways 787 was caught in a very strong wind that was parked next to an A350. It got blown off its chocks, rotated 90 degrees, and then blown into an A350. And damn it, the 787's radome was damaged, and the A350's front cargo door was damaged. But again, no one was injured, so we're calling that one a wash, I think. And it turns out neither aircraft are needed right now, so uh, no big deal. There you go. It'll all get fixed and gives the maintenance folks something to work on. I and guess. those are two parts that are relatively, I guess, good if you want to damage an aircraft. The radome, you just pop off and pop a new one on. The cargo door, I'm assuming, is easier to replace than a wing. So that's, yeah. that's good. We got that going for us. Yeah, which is good. We're ending on good-ish news. Ish. 
ish. The operative part of that word. ish is the operative whatever it is these days. So, I mean, all in all, uh, what couple weeks haven't been rough in the last stretch of weeks, however many weeks this has been? But some good news and a tiny bit of hope. And I'll take any tiny, small, minute bit of hope I can get these days. What do you say we call it an episode? Please. All right. This has been episode 84 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you for listening. <laughs>